how many of you have seen the Lord of the Rings movies at one time or another? I'm hoping a lot of us have. Yeah, they were some of the most popular movies ever. And uh, if you saw them, and especially the second one, which was uh, The Two Towers, which I have a slide for, which isn't coming. There it is. Okay, all right. It always takes a minute for the clicker to work, but once we get it working, we're in good shape. So if you saw The Two Towers, you may remember a pivotal scene toward the end of the movie. A huge battle has just been fought, but it did not go well. A lot of people have died, and the city that they were trying to defend, Osgiliath, has fallen. And in the aftermath of that battle, Frodo nearly succumbs to the allure of the One Ring. Uh, Sam, his faithful companion, prevents that from happening. But in his confused state, Frodo draws his sword and nearly runs Sam through. Uh, once Sam, or once Frodo's back in his right mind, he drops the sword, he sinks to the ground, and he says, I can't do this, Sam. This task that he had been given to take this ring and destroy it, it, was, it felt like it was too difficult for him to do. There had been so much heartache and loss, and he knew that there was more heartache and loss yet to come. And in that moment, Sam gives a speech. He says, I know, it's all wrong. By all rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. And isn't that a great speech? Oh, it's moving, it's dramatic, it's a fitting end to the narrative arc of the movie. And this speech describes what I think we want to be true of us when we think about those seasons in our life that are full of darkness and danger, when we doubt that a new day is going to dawn, when it feels like there's a shadow in our lives and we're not sure if it's ever going to lift. I've had seasons like that in my life. For me, those seasons came because of a relational and leadership crises at the place I was working. And there's trauma in our extended family. And there's the challenges of raising teenagers. And my mom was sick with Alzheimer's and then passed away. And there are natural disasters that hit the community we were in. Oh, and yeah, COVID hit during that time as well. Over the span of a few years, a lot of those crises hit and they overlapped. They didn't come one at a time. They were coming several at once. It felt dark. Some of you know what those seasons are like. Some of you might be in a season like that right now. You face that crisis. It's a relational crisis or something at work or something in your health or, or, or something just in the world around you, the circumstances, and it's dark. And especially when a lot of those crises hit at the same time, the world can feel like an extremely dark place. The shadow does not feel like a passing thing. We're not sure if a new day is really going to dawn. And when those times come, when we're in those kinds of dark seasons, what we want to be true of us is that we would keep going even though we have lots of chances of turning back. We want to be like one of the heroes in the stories that really matter. But when those seasons come, we often don't feel very heroic. We feel like Frodo. I can't do this. 
we feel like giving up. And truth be told, when confronted with the reality of pain and suffering, many people do give up in one way or another. They give up on caring for others and become selfish. They give up on hope and slip into survival mode. Uh, they, give up on, uh, they, they give up on believing that change is possible, and they quit trying. They may even give up on life itself, or at least feel like it. And Christians are susceptible to these same kind of temptations to give up no less than anyone else. We can be tempted to give up on God's ability, to find it hard to believe that He has the power to heal and deliver and provide for us and to save us. Some may be even tempted to give up on God's character instead of believing that He is good and loving to think that He is delighting in their suffering, that He's rooting for them to fail. It's tempting to give up in these ways because when we're suffering, it can feel all-consuming. It's hard to see beyond it. When we're in the middle of it, it can feel like this is all I've ever known and all I ever will know. That's the lie of suffering. That it gets to define our reality. That it gets to determine our choices. That it gets to dictate our character or our understanding of God's character. The lie is that we're powerless in the face of suffering. The lie is that suffering is going to have the final word in our lives. That is a powerful lie, but that's all it is. A lie. Resisting that lie is not easy, but as we're going to see as we look at God's word today, it is possible. We're going to see this as we look at the example of Jesus, and specifically the example of Jesus during his crucifixion. Uh, We're going to be looking at Mark 15, verses 25 through 39. If you have a Bible, you can turn there now. But in the verses leading up to the passage we're looking at, Jesus has already suffered a lot. Jesus had suffered emotionally. Judas had betrayed him. All of his disciples had abandoned him. Peter had disowned him three times. Jesus agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane when he contemplated what was going to happen to him. And Jesus had been mocked both by the Jewish temple guards and by Roman soldiers. And Jesus had also suffered physically already. He had been beaten with fists by the Jewish guards. He had been struck on the head with a staff by the Roman soldiers. He had been flogged. He had been flayed with a leather whip into which sharp pieces of bone and metal had been woven. That flogging was so brutal that people would often die from that before they made it to crucifixion. Jesus had suffered already, but there was more to come. Would you stand with me and follow along as I read these verses for us? Mark 15, beginning in verse 25. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, Come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. 
And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Jesus, we marvel as we see your sacrifice for us on the cross. And we want, Lord, though, not just to marvel at it, but we want to learn from it. And we want to apply the truth that you want us to apply today as we look at this part of your word. So God, would you be active to bring revelation by your spirit through your word to us today. We pray, God, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we could see you more clearly. We pray that you'd open our ears and our minds to hear and understand all that you want us to today. We pray against any uh, confusion or distraction or any other agendas that would get in the way of that. And as you've already been at work in this service, Lord, continue to be at work by your Spirit. Move among us and quicken our hearts that we would respond to you in the ways you want us to respond today, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, the suffering of Jesus reaches its climax in these verses. Jesus is crucified. He's, uh, he's attached to the cross by metal spikes driven through his wrists and through his, ankle, his ankles. Uh, and he, he had his clothes taken away from him. Uh, people who were crucified most often were crucified completely naked, and this was specifically to add to their shame as they died. People who were crucified were normally lifted up on a cross just high enough for their feet to be off the ground, but Jesus was lifted up on a higher than usual cross, and again to add to his shame as he was put on display in this way. And as he is there hanging on the cross in that state, he was mocked by passers-by and by the Jewish religious leaders and even by the people who were being crucified on either side of him. And in the midst of all of this, how does Jesus respond? Well, in Sam's words, he keeps going and he didn't turn back. He didn't give up. Jesus remained faithful. And when we look at Jesus' example of faithfulness there, we see there's hope for us, but also a challenge for us. Because what Jesus did, we can do as well as we follow his example. Regardless of what we face, we can remain faithful. Regardless of what we face in life, we can remain faithful. Even through the seasons of darkness and and distress, even when we're suffering and we go through hard times, no matter what we face, we can remain faithful. So we look at Jesus' example here. I want to point out three disciplines that we can engage in to help us do just that. The first is that uh, we've got to hold on to our identity. Like Jesus, we hold on to our identity. The identity of Jesus is a major theme of his trial and crucifixion. During his trial, the only questions that Jesus answers were about his identity. In chapter 14, verse 61, the religious leaders asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, Yes, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. 
And Jesus affirmed his identity as king of the Jews before Pilate as well. And in all that follows Jesus' trial, uh, his identity is spoken by the people around him. Uh, he's affirmed by the king of the Jews five times in chapter 15. Now, most of these statements come with a mocking tone by the people around him. Like the, elder, like the uh, Roman soldiers in verses 17 and 18, who not only call him the king of the Jews, but put a purple robe on him and bow before him and put a crown of thorns on his head. Similarly, the religious leaders in verse 32 uh, say, call him the Messiah, the King of Israel. And they say it in a mocking way, but that actually was the correct title for Jesus. In light of Jesus' confession before the religious leaders and before Pilate, we're meant to see that while all these comments about Jesus' identity come with a mocking tone, the people who say them are actually speaking better than they know. They're proclaiming truth even though they don't mean to. And in every one of these mocking comments, Jesus would have heard an affirmation of his true identity. The most profound acknowledgement of Jesus' identity comes from the centurion who was standing there at the cross when Jesus died. This was a man who likely had seen many people die, but something in the way Jesus died struck him and struck him enough to, to exclaim, surely this man was the Son of God. You might remember that at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry at his baptism, the voice of God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son. And now at the end of Jesus' public ministry, the centurion says, this was the Son of God. Jesus' public ministry is framed by these declarations of his identity and his relationship with God. Despite the incredible suffering that he endured, Jesus affirmed and showed his true identity. Folks, when we are suffering, when we're going through hard times, it's so important that we remember who we are. This is a big part of how we fight the lie of suffering. Suffering does not get to define our reality. It does not get to define who we are. Your identity is not determined by your circumstances, no matter how hard or awful or painful they may be. Your identity is determined by God and what He says is true of you. And what does God say is true of us? He says that we are His children, that we are loved by Him, that we are pleasing to Him. He says that we are forgiven and righteous and holy. We are disciples of Jesus, followers of Him who are becoming more like Him as we are with Him. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, the place where God dwells in His very presence, His Holy Spirit. This is true of us, and suffering does not change our status. When you are suffering, you are still the beloved of God. In Romans 8, Paul says, nothing will separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Not tribulation, not, not distress, not persecution, not famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Nothing in heaven or earth separates us from the love of God. When you're suffering, you're suffering as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Suffering does not drive away God's Spirit. He's still with us and in us, even through the hardest times. And we are still followers of King Jesus, His disciples, even when hard times come. In fact, we should not be surprised that as we grow to be more like Him, that we would experience in some degree what He experienced. It's so important that when we're going through those hard times, that we can hold on to our identity. And to do that, it's really helpful to know that identity 
before the hard times come. And we do that by spending time in God's Word, reading there what is true of us. And we do that as we meditate on those truths and internalize them into our hearts and souls. We, we learn what our identity is as we spend time in prayer, listening to what God would speak to us by His Spirit. We build our relationship with God, and in the context of that relationship with Him, our conviction of who we are in Him grows. So that when the hard time comes, we have something to hold on to. That we can say, yeah, it's tough, it's hard, but I'm still a child of God. I'm still a disciple of Jesus. I'm still a temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we can know and hold on to that identity, that helps us to remain faithful through those difficult seasons. We've got to hold on to our identity. And like Jesus, to remain faithful, we want to hold firm to our mission. We hold firm to our mission. The the mission of Jesus is referenced a couple ways in these verses that we're looking at. And the first way is, again, through the mocking comments of others. Uh, Some of the people there say, I think it might actually be the religious leaders say, he saved others, but he can't save himself. A big part of Jesus' mission was to save others. He even said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And one of the ways that Jesus saved others was by healing all the people that he healed and by setting free all those who were oppressed by demons and by raising people from the dead and certainly by by forgiving people their sins. Jesus was saving them. He saved a lot of people. But in order for Jesus to bring the full measure of salvation that he was meant to bring, he couldn't save himself from death. Not because he lacked the ability to do so, but because saving himself from death would have cut short the saving work that he was intended to do. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is what's necessary, what makes it possible for us to be forgiven and saved. It makes it possible for us to be adopted as God's children, for his Holy Spirit to live in us. Jesus' death was necessary for that to happen, and he knew that. So he knew that in order to accomplish his mission... He had to submit to death on the cross. It says there toward the end of the verses we read that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The curtain that separated the the, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, from the rest of the temple. That we have access to God's presence through Jesus because He died. We have relationship with God because Jesus died. If Jesus hadn't submitted to death, if He had saved Himself, that wouldn't be possible. Jesus was reminded of his mission in the mocking comments of others and also in every reference to him as king. Because a king has a kingdom. And that was a big part of the mission that Jesus was about. When Jesus came on the scene at the beginning of his public ministry, his message was, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's within reach, it's available to you. And Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated that that was in fact true, the kingdom of God had come. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom when he came, and he intended that his followers would carry on his work of advancing the kingdom after he was gone. But in order for his followers to do that, they needed, and we need, the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could only be poured out after Jesus had completed his earthly ministry, which included his death and resurrection. Jesus says this to his disciples in John, at that last night he's with them before his death, He says, it's for your good that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. 
But if I go, the Holy Spirit will come and be with you forever. So in order for God's plan to see the kingdom of God come to everyone to be accomplished, Jesus had to submit to death as a part of fulfilling that mission. Because, you see, God's heart was not just that one man, Jesus, would proclaim and demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come. His plan was that many people would do that, including you and I. That we would do that so that many, many more people would be able to experience the healing and deliverance and forgiveness and salvation that is entailed in the kingdom of God. This was the plan of God. This was the mission of Jesus. And Jesus knew that his death was necessary for that to happen. Folks, when we're going through our hard times or difficult seasons, even though we're going through that, there's still a mission that God has for us. Still a purpose for you, even when you're in those dark, difficult times. Just as suffering does not alter our identity, it does not negate our mission. Difficulty does not define us. There's a lot of things that can be true of us. And we've got to admit and acknowledge those. You might be going through a crisis in a relationship or financially or at work. There may be something difficult going on in your life. You may be struggling with grief. You may be struggling with depression. You may be plagued by anxiety. Those things are true of you. But what is also true at the same time is that God still has a purpose for you. The difficulty doesn't derail you from the purpose that God has for you. We still have a mission that God has called us to, to share in accomplishing the mission of Jesus, to bring the kingdom of God to more and more people, to bring salvation to the people around us. And that purpose still applies regardless of whatever else is going on in our life. Even when you're sick, you can still pray with expectation that God would bring healing to others. Even when you're struggling, you can glorify Him as King. Even when you're weak, the love and truth and power of God can shine brightly through you. Paul would even say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, because it's more opportunity for God to show through me. Whatever else is true of you, this is still true. You share in Jesus' mission to bring salvation to others and see the kingdom of God come more fully in this world. We may even find that the difficulty we're going through gives us opportunities to fulfill that mission that we wouldn't have had if we weren't going through that hard time. We wouldn't have those opportunities if things were going the way we wanted. Because when we're going through tough times, sometimes we have contact with people that we wouldn't have otherwise had contact with. We become aware of needs that we wouldn't otherwise have been aware of. Sometimes it's the difficulties we face that brings focus to the purposes of God in our life. God uses the suffering we go through as a part of His plan. God uses that suffering, but I want to make it clear, suffering in and of itself is not the mission. The mission that God has for us may mean we have to endure some hard times. There's ample evidence in the New Testament of that. But God's will is not that we would suffer as an end in itself, but that we would experience the good things and we would do the good things that can only happen because we went through that hard time. And if we can remember this, that God has a purpose for us that includes but goes beyond our suffering, then we're better able to remain faithful, come what may. Regardless of what we face, we can remain faithful as we follow Jesus' example 
of holding on to our identity, holding firm to our mission, and thirdly, by holding fast to God's promises, especially God's promise of victory. Jesus knew that while he had to drink this cup of suffering and die, that death was not the end of his story. Uh, he, he knew that there was a resurrection that awaited him. On at least three previous occasions, Jesus had predicted all that was going to happen to him. He said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles, I'm going to be mocked, spit upon, flogged, I'm going to be killed. But Jesus said, but on the third day I'm going to be raised from the dead. Now Jesus was going through all the suffering that he had predicted. And you could go right down the list. He'd been rejected, handed over to the Gentiles. He had been mocked. He had been spit upon. He had been flogged. And now he was in the very process of dying. But he knew that if all those other things he had predicted had come true, so would the last one, that on the third day he'd be raised from the dead. Jesus was even reminded of this in a roundabout way, again, through a mocking comment of the people there, when they said, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Now that's a reference to something Jesus said that's not even recorded for us in the Gospel of Mark, but is preserved for us in John chapter 2. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus knew that there was victory for him beyond the cross. He knew that there was life for him beyond the grave. The, you know, the only statement of Jesus from the cross that Mark records for us is when Jesus quotes Psalm 22.1 and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I think that Jesus quoted that verse in that moment because he genuinely was feeling forsaken by God. But I think Jesus also would have known the rest of what Psalm 22 says. Psalm 22 is honest about feelings of abandonment. It describes so much of what Jesus endured on the cross. But Psalm 22, in Psalm 22, God also declares that he's going to rescue and deliver. He says salvation is going to come to the nations through the one who feels forsaken. And I think Jesus had all of Psalm 22 in mind when he quoted the first verse. I think what Jesus is saying is, look, I feel forsaken. It may even appear to some of you that God has forsaken me, but I know the bigger picture. I know that God is faithful. I know that His promises are true. And so I can admit that I feel forsaken and confess His faithfulness with my final breath. Jesus knew that there was victory for Him beyond the grave, beyond death. Friends, when we're going through our hard times, it matters that we hold fast to the promises of God because it can feel like suffering determines our reality, but it does not. It can feel like that dark season we're in is all there's ever going to be, but it's not. There is more. There is victory for us. And we get to experience that victory in this life. God is right now our healer, our deliverer, our provider, our savior, our comforter, our peace. The kingdom of God has come. It is available to us now. 
So when we face suffering in our lives, when we face suffering with people we love, when we see suffering in this world, part of our response should be to protest and say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not right. I don't want it to be that way. That's not what God created this world to experience. That's not what God created us to experience. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane starts his prayer, Father, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. You are being like Jesus when you pray to avoid suffering. When you pray for suffering to end, you're being like Jesus. It honors God to seek victory in this life. And folks, sometimes we get to experience that victory. Man, I've experienced that in my life. And I could go down the list, all those situations I talked about before. I could talk about the comfort God gave me after my mom died. I could talk about the way he worked out situations at work. I could talk about the way he brought a new season. The light did dawn again. (laughs) The shadow did pass. He turned my mourning into dancing. Got the oil of joy for the spirit of heaviness. It happened. It happens to us. We get to experience his victory in this life. And I am so glad that that is true. Thank you, God for the victories that we experience in this life. And thank you, God, for the ultimate victory that we'll experience in the life to come. Aren't you glad that we don't have to choose between victory now and victory later? Like Jesus, there is a promise of resurrection for us. Now listen, folks, unless Jesus comes first, we all are going to experience death. There will be a sickness from which we do not recover There will be an injury from which we are not healed. We will die, but even then the promises of God still stand. Even death does not get the final word in defining our reality. God does. And let me remind you of what he says through Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep in death, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the immortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This is the promise for you and for me, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in His death as we've talked about it this morning in communion and looking at His crucifixion, this awaits us in our future. And when we hold on to these promises, we can be confident, even through the hardest times, that victory awaits us in this life, yes, and in the life to come. And that helps us to remain faithful regardless. The lie of suffering is that it gets to define our reality. The example of Jesus on the cross exposes that lie. He did not give up. He remained faithful. And so we can too. In Sam's words, we can keep going even though we have lots of chances of turning back because we're holding on to something. Like Jesus, we hold on to our identity. Uh, You are not defined by your circumstances, but by God. And suffering does not change your status. Like Jesus, we hold firm to our mission. 
God has given you a mission to continue the work of Jesus. Whatever else may also be true of you, this is true of you. You have a purpose to bring salvation to others and advance God's kingdom in this world. And like Jesus, we hold fast to God's promises, especially the promise of victory that is assured for us in this life, yes, and certainly in the life to come. Now, I imagine that as we're here today, you're in one of two places. Either you're in the kind of dark season I described right now, or you know someone who is. And regardless of which place you're in, the starting point for a response today is prayer. If you're in that kind of dark season right now, I want to remind you of what Echo said earlier, that God sees you, He knows you, He loves you. And He wants you to come to Him and say, this is what's going on, and this is what I think about it, and this is how it feels, and this is what I need from you. Come to Him with that. I want to encourage you, if you know someone who's going through this kind of a a dark season, to intercede for them, to pray on their behalf, and to say, God, would you remind them of who they are? Would you remind them that they have a purpose beyond just suffering and enduring? Would you remind them of your promises? You know, sometimes when we're in one of those dark seasons, the promises of God feel very theoretical. They don't feel really tangible. Pray that God would make His promises tangible in their lives. I want to give us a chance to respond in prayer right now. I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads, just create a private moment. I invite the worship team to come back as we are going to worship together before we close. But right now, just take a moment in quiet and pray for yourself, pray for someone you know, ask God for what you, for what they need. Lord, on this Palm Sunday, our cry is still and again, Hosanna. Save us and save those we know who need to experience your salvation in tangible ways in their lives today. Save us and thank you for being the God who saves. Thank you that so many of us can testify that dark seasons pass, that new days dawn, that there is a bright hope in the future, that we do get to experience victory. Thank you, Lord. So we say, Hosanna, save us, and thank you for saving us. In your name, amen. Amen. A starting point for our response is prayer. But then the next step is to connect with someone else. Jesus suffered alone on the cross, but we don't have to suffer alone. We have the gift of one another. I want to encourage you, if you are in a tough place today, to get prayer before you leave. Come to our ministry team. We'll be here at the front. Come to the, uh, lean over to the person next to you and say, would you pray for me? Let them know what's going on. Don't go through it alone. And if you know someone who's in a hard time, be the one to initiate and reach out to them. Say to them, I see you. I love you. I'm with you in this. I'm praying for you. Can we stand together? I'm going to invite our ministry team. If you could come right now and take your places up here at the front. And I do want to invite you as we begin to worship to come and receive prayer for whatever need you may have in your life. It doesn't have to be dramatic and drastic and the most awful you've ever experienced. If you have any need, come and receive prayer. And if you're in one of those extraordinarily dark seasons, come and receive prayer. We want to stand with you in that. So come now. Let's worship the Lord together.